Good evening, everybody, to the first episode of the uh, Fred Hampton Inn and Suites. We hope you enjoy your stay. Hope you have uh, all of your amenities taken care of. As we get into the uh, the meat of today's issue, and holy shit, if it isn't a pretty big issue going on here. Uh... For those of you who are fortunate enough to not be on the internet uh, and haven't heard yet, uh, there was a political report uh, that came out which is reporting that the Supreme Court, in its decision, which has not yet been released, in uh, Thomas Dobbs, State Health Officer of Mississippi versus uh Jackson Women's Health Organization uh, decision that came out, a draft decision, the first draft from the Supreme Court that has overruled Roe v. Wade. Uh, Roe v. Wade being the uh, case in from the U.S. courts which basically recognized the right to an abortion and made it uh, illegal to, or made it uh, prevented states from banning abortions outright. Uh, And that was upheld later in a case, uh, Casey versus Planned Parenthood. Uh, And according to this leak, that's about to be donezo. Uh, In what is one of the craziest, probably developments that I've seen come out of the court in a while Uh, the court has determined that it's going to outright overrule uh, the precedent that was set in Roe v. Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. Uh, The, I guess the the move is now to destroy the recognition or the right uh, to actually have an abortion. So basically what this, what this, precedent would do if this first draft is going to remain as it is currently, it basically lifts the restrictions on all other states from actually um, being unable to restrict abortions. Uh, what does that mean? It's how, how, how much into the weeds do we get here? Okay. The, the, The long and short of it is that states are going to now be able to outlaw abortion outright if this first draft remains as it is. Now, spoiler alert, I'm a lawyer, but I don't have any experience in the United States Supreme Court. I am not that cool. Uh, So I don't know how likely this draft is to change. There are reports that uh, there are times when a first draft of an opinion is circulated within the Supreme Court and an opinion, uh, justice changes their mind and then the opinion changes. 
Uh, it's a first draft, so it's not the rule of law yet. Uh, who knows how many revisions this has? Who knows if even the legal reasoning behind this decision is going to change? And if it does, then that could be pretty significant. But right now, as it stands, this decision, as it comes from Justice Alito, is way more of a rollback than what even some of the most conservative pundits have been expecting would happen. Uh, typically, you do not see... It is rare for the Supreme Court to overrule the precedent of other Supreme Courts. Uh, precedent just being the decisions that other Supreme Courts have made on similar cases, on similar issues. You usually don't see this kind of thing be overruled outright. Uh, it's kind of a bad look for multiple reasons. One, because we have this principle called stare decisis. And stare decisis basically just means that when a court has said something and ruled on an issue, then that becomes part of the next court's consideration. The court should now defer to that previous ruling from the previous court and not attempt to change it. Because obviously, if you have laws and courts don't actually give a shit about what other courts have said, then that system's not going to survive very long. Uh, and then the other issue here with with the uh, the stare decisis is the, the, the other problem with overruling a case is you sort of necessarily challenge your own court's authority. If I say that I am a court that has the ability to interpret the law and I interpret the law one way and then later I interpret a very similar or the same law another way and say, my bad, I got that shit wrong last time. I actually ruled incorrectly. You challenge your own authority as a court. So for any court to go out of its way to overrule outright overrule a precedent is a pretty big deal. It's a pretty massive deal, especially as it comes to Roe versus Wade and Planned Parenthood versus Casey. Because a lot of the arguments that Alito's now making about how uh, abortion's not recognized in the Constitution, how the right to privacy is not a recognizable right as it applies to abortion, a lot of these arguments have already been made. They were already made in Planned Parenthood versus Casey. That was the whole point of that case, which basically, uh, you know, did overrule Roe in some ways as it talks about the, you know, the viability of a fetus and uh, the, the uh, trimesters and a lot of the things that you're going to be hearing coming up. But a lot of these issues is as, as to why uh, it would be inappropriate to overrule Roe v. Wade were already discussed in Planned Parenthood versus Casey. But yet now, Alito is taking this huge step here to actually say, you know what? What we said in Planned Parenthood versus Casey was bullshit to begin with. Um, and we, uh, Shelly, I'll get to you in just a second, but I want to finish up this point. Uh, this is, again, this is a first draft. We don't know how much of this is going to change. It is, in my estimate and from everything that I've read, uh, 
very unlikely that the actual ruling is going to change, that the actual overruling of uh, Planned Parenthood versus Casey and Roe versus Wade is actually going to change. What could change is the the justification for it, uh, and that would change things pretty significantly if the justification for that ruling did change here, because one of the things that's really not great about this opinion, too, uh, in its current draft is it challenges the right to privacy uh, explanation that was established in Roe versus Wade. So what does that mean on a larger scale? Uh, there are some rights that are not explicitly put in the Constitution and that are not explicitly in the Bill of Rights, but that courts have interpreted to be rights that are necessarily a part of the Constitution in its essence. Those rights being things like the right to privacy, which was crucial in Lawrence versus Texas, which was the uh, case out of Texas where they made it illegal. Uh, they passed anti-sodomy laws and were charging uh, gay men for having sex within the privacy of their own homes. And in that case, the court reasoned that, look, even though the Constitution doesn't explicitly say there's a right to privacy, the Constitution recognizes a right to privacy. And therefore, the Texas law, the anti-sodomy law, is unconstitutional. Um, the right to privacy was a really big part of this, um, uh, was it Oppenheimer or Oppenhagen? I forget. The one that legalized gay marriage. It was a, it was a crucial, or the right to privacy was also a crucial component of that decision to legalize gay marriage. And the current draft of this opinion here that's overruling Roe versus Wade actually challenges the legitimacy of right to privacy precedent. So he's putting in the crosshairs all cases that have been, arguably, that have been decided on right to privacy grounds. That's a big deal. That's, that could be a big fucking deal. I don't want to downplay that. No one wants to be a conspiracy theorist. No one wants to pretend like, oh, you guys are going too far. Oh, of course they're not going to... Of course, they're not going to go that far. That would be ridiculous. But honestly, I didn't think they would go this far. For a precedent that has been set since, when was Roe uh, v. Wade? When was that? The 60s? The 50s? Um, let me see. 60... Give me a second. I got a source here. Where? 60... 73? I guess maybe 73. So 70... 73, I think. Um, yeah, 1973. But that's, that's a, yeah, 70, that's, that's close. Um, that's an old case. That's been precedent for a long time. That's been the law of the land for a good amount of time. Um, gay marriage has not been around that long. Homie, that shit is new. And for a case, uh, for something about, you know, a case about abortion, which has been litigated in the Supreme Court at least five times, at least five, as, as far as I can remember. There was Roe v. Wade. There was another one, Doe versus something along Doe v. Bolton. That was along the same time that uh, 
just a little background on that case, that was uh, that basically made it illegal for a state to try to prevent you from going to another state to get an abortion uh, or charging you whenever you get back from that other state to get an abortion, uh, basically because that violates the uh, uh, there's something in the Constitution called the Privileges and Immunities Clause, which is, you know, states cannot infringe on the rights of other states, nor can they discriminate on people based on their state citizenship who just happen to cross into your state. Um, but, uh, you know, like, the, uh, the the point is, this this shit has been over and has been litigated over and over in the courts. And they've never changed it. They've changed it. No, well, I don't want to say that. They've, they've changed it. People have tried to restrict it. There's been a lot of push uh, from Scalia, from Alito, from other justices who have very much put Roe into question in the past. Reinquist. Uh, there's been a lot of push on Roe v. Wade. Don't get me wrong. But the right to an abortion has been established for a long time in this country. To now change it at this time and also attack the part of the uh, constitutional analysis that specifically protects gay men, gay people, uh, that spe- and, and to specifically call out by name in the opinion, Lawrence versus Texas. Uh, alarms should be going off, right? Your, your conspiracy alarms. It's no longer like it's no longer it's not a stretch. So if anyone tells you that, oh, they would never do that. At this point, the the burden of proof is on them to prove that they would never do that, to prove that this could never happen. Because as far as where I'm sitting right now, I feel like an idiot because I was thinking, oh, they would never overrule Roe v. Wade. And this opinion is so, I know it's a first draft, it can change. Maybe we're being crazy about it because it's only a first draft, but it is so unrelenting in in how far it goes to overrule Roe v. Wade um, that that should be cause for concern. But we got a caller, always love to have her, uh, even though it's officially the first show. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and take the call. Shelly, go ahead and unmute yourself, and welcome to the, the Fred Hampton Inn and Suites. How are you doing? Hi, Bide. I absolutely love the title. I love your description, and your first episode's uh, name is pretty killer. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how many of these I'll do, but uh, it's fun, and I, I have a good time on the app. And I, I honestly do like hearing from people and hearing their opinions. And turns out there are a lot of people a lot smarter than me in the world who uh, also happen to be on this app. So uh, <laughs> I think everyone has their own kind of area smarts or like things to like add. I, I, I it really kind of sucks because I, uh, I, I would have want to listen to the, your whole entire show, but my boyfriend was just like, want to go get dinner. And I was like, yes. So I'm going to have to run like really quickly, but I just, don't, I mean, you don't have to call me a conspiracy theorist. I'm totally a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I mean, How like, did you not see this coming. It's well, I'll say this: I didn't see it coming from. I think. Look, look for for me, I'm still coming out of the mindset of uh, 
America is great because it is good kind of shit, right? Yeah. You know, like I'm oh, sorry, I missed that. What'd you say? The American exceptionalism argument. Yeah, you know, there's there's a large part of indoctrination that happens, even if it's not intentional, in, in just going through life, right? The manufacturing of consent through the way that stories are framed in our media, the, the mm-hmm. sort of uh, just saying the pledge every day and reading history books where they're, they're skipping over all the the less exceptional parts of American history. Uh, the, and then, you know, just Olympics and shit like that. You know, there's, there is a part of like pride that I think I've had in, in America. There's, there's, there's like a, there's a soft white underbelly that I haven't been seeing for a while. So things like this still do genuinely shock me. Uh, it's, you, you know, there, there, there are so many things, you know, we can talk about all the platitudes and sayings like the, the arc of history tends towards justice and all this other stuff. And, you know, it, I think that there's a real detriment to that mindset in not making you realize that the arc of history may tend that way because people fight like hell to make it that way because people do dirty shit, go out there and get beat up, get, you know, destroyed or killed to fight for something that's better than what the current situation is. And right. When we're regressing. Right. Right. And let's if go, you just let's go bomb people that are more backward than us. Meanwhile, while we're backsliding. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and let's go, even the idea of there's a consent to let's go bomb people where that just becomes a normal thing that America can and should do. And now we're having conversations about that as opposed to this idea of, wait, don't we believe in sovereignty? Don't we believe in liberty? Don't we believe in all of these things? Then why would we not believe in self-determination? Isn't that the whole point? Like, doesn't a, a country's population too have the, uh, right to determine its own arc to determine its own governmental system. And, you know, it's, it's only, it wasn't until college that I started really actually reading about, uh, you know, just uh, the CIA and sort of a lot of the operations that we've had in South America and in Africa. And, and just, you start to realize that the story that you were told was a, a false one. Or if nothing else, insanely incomplete. They were they were lying by omission, right? And yeah, exactly. It's like we kind of said these things, and they seemed at the time virtuous, true, well intentioned, well meaning, right? But it's kind of like what you're talking about with that underbelly. Whenever you look at it, you're just like, uh, I don't necessarily think so. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and it, it is really really difficult to come to terms with. And that's one of the things that like, whenever I've kind of started my radicalization art, which I absolutely credit Bernie for, even though I get kind of mad at him now, I still credit him. I will, I'll never denigrate him other than basically saying like, I could do better because I wouldn't be where I am unless he existed. So Uh, yeah, 
Yeah. I mean, like it's, that was my experience too. I got super excited about Obama and, you know, I was like, a black dude, just like me is going to be president. I never thought that that would happen in this racist ass country. And, you know, there, there are, I, I don't, sometimes I hate calling it a racist ass country just because it's a country. It's yeah, but a lot of people are fine. Most people, like a lot of people really, <laughs> I've had plenty of good, inter- I think people try to, when you talk about racism, people always think of it individually. And it, well, it but I also, I also think that this kind of um, intersects with the whole Ukraine debate. Yeah. Like Ooh, okay. there are Nazis in Ukraine. Yes. They, they're definitely, they're a force. Yes. And they're there. Yeah. And it's just the fact that they're kind of the most extreme, that they're, no, they don't make up the entirety of the Ukrainian population, but they make up a significant part. And just by the virtue of their extremism, they drive the conversation. They drive the narrative. That's and, fair. Yeah. You know, that's, that's very so fair. Like, yeah. No, most Americans are not racist, but, you know, there's there's a pretty good few of them that are pushing us into a place that is not very comfortable at all. That's 100% fair. And there's a good few who have been in positions of power who have now created systems, which the effect of them is very racist, right? And that's that's almost inarguable at this point. But you still think, uh, to me, and this is where I'm going to show my stupid, like, naivety or whatever with this, but I... I've, you know, in law school, you have to, you got to take constitutional law, right? You go through, you read all of these cases and there are some of them that are pretty, you start thinking, oh, these people are pretty smart. They're pretty good at reasoning their way into this or out of this and coming up with certain rights. And uh, I mean, the first case we all read is, is Marbury versus Madison, which is basically the case where the Supreme Court is in an unwinnable political position where, uh, you know, I, I won't go into the whole history of it, but Thomas Jefferson was basically getting rid of courts and doing some crazy shit. And yeah. basically the whole legitimacy of the court was in question. And, yeah. you know, James or John Marshall uh, writes this opinion about, well, look, we're going to let or Thomas Jefferson has the ability to do what he wants to do as the president but we have the ability to interpret law and that's in our sole sort of purview. We don't write laws. We don't, we don't actually enforce laws, but we are the only force here that can actually interpret laws. And so in that one decision gives the court this activist role, which is not in the constitution. So anytime this is fascinating to me, because anytime someone talks to me about like, Oh, I'm an originalist for the constitution or I believe in, you know, that the the founding fathers intent, the first fucking big case that the Supreme Court does is living document shit. It's, hey, we actually have this ability that is actually not in the Constitution, but we're going to write it in for ourselves. And every single case they've decided on since then has depended on that implicit authority that it granted itself through an interpretation of the Constitution that was not literal. So... People that claim to be originalists need to just go hang themselves. I I don't oh have God. any use for that. No, seriously. Like, 
you're talking about people that had like a life expectancy of 60 years. You're right. talking about people that ripped the teeth out of slaves' mouth to use as dentures. Right. They ordered their wigs because they have rashes. I mean, these they couldn't even imagine cell phones or cards. Yeah. Or anything that we deal it's, with it, in our modern world. Like why why are we claiming to be original like why would anyone claim to be an originalist and interpret something, you know, based on Medieval times. It's why. Why do we cling to medieval law? The the there. I'm I, I'm. I can't try to make a defense for him. <laughs> yeah, because I, it's it's. I think it's very. It's not very creative, and it's not very realistic. Uh, there are a lot of traditionalists out there, but one thing that you don't really understand, even with all that going on, even with these people are dirty, wig-wearing, teeth-stealing pieces of shit or whatever, right? You, even if that's the only thing that we go on, like, that aside, like, push all that aside. Um, okay. The idea that people weren't already uh, in conflict about what the meaning of the Constitution was when it was written is malarkey. It's absolute fiction. The founding fathers had all kinds of different ideas about that shit. Like, no, no, they absolutely did. And actually, I think Alexander Hamilton was probably the most radical, yeah. Even, yeah. even though I know he's kind of gotten subsumed into this Lynn Manuel Miranda like type thing where he's he's more safe. But he was actually pretty radical. He was a weird one. He was a, he was a radical guy and he wrote a lot. And that's one of the, that's exactly who I was going to bring up is that a lot of the times when we look at originalist interpretations, we're looking at the Federalist Papers, which Alexander Hamilton wrote to explain certain parts of like how government should function and the constitution. And a lot of that stuff kind of made it in, but we're looking at one guy's papers about what the constitutional intent is or about what the constitution's supposed to mean. That's just one fucking guy. That's just one horny dude. That's it. Just one horny guy who's going out there doing his thing. And that's what the founding father's intent is. You know, it's, it's, I, I think it's, 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 it's such a trap to fall into that and to not look at like, at least the principles of, of what was supposed to be protected. Right. Well, and I think, I think that's kind of, um, because I don't have any faith in, right what it is that we call our democratic institutions. Right. Um, and, and I think that, you know, I think we've talked before. I'm, yes. I'm a little bit more left wing than you are. Um, I consider myself a communist yeah. and there's one I'm, book. I'm commo. Huh? I'm like commo curious. I'm like, Ooh, that looks curious? good. What's okay. that? Mm. Well then let me give you a great suggestion. Uh -huh. There's an author called uh, Domenico Lacerdo. Uh -huh. And I think you should attempt to read and get his book called Liberalism. It's like okay. a blue book. It's kind of an eye-catching cover. And then I also was going to bring up, um, just because we're talking about Roe versus Wade and abortion, I was going okay. to bring up um, Caliban and the Witch, Women, the Body, and Primitive Accumulation by Sylvia Federici. She talks about um, the medieval ages in 
where essentially you had the Black Plague that killed off a lot of workers. And then it kind of morphed into this whole, like, the, the, the witch burning. Hmm. And what a lot of the witch burnings were is they were kind of like, lo- like the women kind of functioned as these like local, like, hey, do you need some birth control? They were kind of women's health care. Really? And so that, yes. So essentially it's like your labor force was reduced. Your labor force was rising and demanding higher wages and demanding more rights and stuff like that. Mm. And one of the parts of it was trying to control the reproductive forces because labor is a huge force. Yeah. And so you had to sort of reduce abortion. You had to kind of quell like sort of the feminine spirit of having control over their own body. And I would also say that that's kind of very similar to today. I mean, we just I mean, we've undergone one million covid deaths. We have obvious issues with labor. It's not surprising to me that we are trying to limit people's ability to give birth because what are we going to do with the productive forces? Those are the people that are supposed to be doing manual labor, working in factories, you know, producing a higher GDP, all that other type of stuff. And we basically just allowed them to die off. And so why wouldn't we? you know, try yeah. to limit women's See, ability to have control over reproductive capabilities. So I think I would be more uh, receptive to that specific angle had it not been for, even with that context of the witch burnings and everything, yeah. the, the Supreme Court at one time did say, well, we have to allow women to have a, an abortion. It should be a fundamental right because it's their right to privacy, Right. Which and their right, you know, to medical treatment, which is what I guess that's what always. And I don't know the full context behind that decision. I can't remember the historical context. And frankly, most of the time in law school, as much as they talk about critical race theory, it's a very small part. You don't you never look at the context of decisions like barely ever. We only did for a couple of decisions like Kiramatsu was like the one decision because then context is important so we can understand why we made this fucked up decision to put all the Japanese Americans in interim camps, right? But, um, you know, most of the time it's just straight legal precedential analysis or, or we're just looking at the, the merits of the decision itself and then analyzing that. And at least for, at least since 73, the, the that right to privacy, that, that, um, sort of interpretation of constitutional principles. It's not, it's not a textualist view. It's not a, it's not an originalist view or whatever, but it's a, it's a principled view that, Hey, maybe we don't have this authority because it's too far into like, we're talking about regulating people's personal medical decisions too. Right. So allow me to push back just for a second. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, me, because I know you've said you're commie curious. Yeah. So, he, so from just, just briefly, from the communist perspective, every mm-hmm. single individual lives in a dictatorship. You can claim that it's democracy. You can claim whatever. But what communists call a liberal democracy is a dictatorship of the bourgeoisie. Yeah. It's still a dictatorship. 
So the only thing that we're trying to switch is a dictatorship of the working class or a dictatorship of the proletariat. Right, right. So that's that's Marx from uh, I forget which work that is, but yeah, that's he uh, that or or is that state and uh, revolution? Is that Lenin? I think uh, that's more. I think that's a I little bit more like, Lenin, yeah. but like obviously Lenin built on Marx. Um, Correct. Yeah, but, yeah. So essentially, what I'm kind of trying to, or at least like probe or whatever, is the fact that we can cling to the state institutions and we can cite precedents and and like all these other types of stuff. But these institutions were set up with a bourgeoisie mindset that was always meant to suppress minorities, gender roles, the working class. Like it was always meant to do that. And that's the reason why lots of times like we can sit here, we can be flabbergasted by the decisions that our courts make or our elected representatives make. And we can be like, why, how, how this doesn't do anything for the people. It was never meant to. Yeah. I, and I look, I agree with a lot of that. I think what I find so alarming about this decision though, is like, even if I take more of that sort of materialist framework that you're taking here Mm -hmm. um, and I, and I look at it from, you know, okay. A standpoint of the court is, is, only meant or was put in to serve that um, bourgeois sort of uh, bourgeois interest, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Turns out that things like integration and, you know, allowing gay people to have rights and uh, women having, you know, bodily autonomy, control of their bodily autonomy, have all been good for that... (laughs) bourgeois institution as well, right? So this, you could almost argue that this decision in overturning Roe versus Wade is antithetical or is, or is, is detrimental to that bourgeois class that wants uh, women to be in the workplace and wants them working hard so that they can, you know, exploit their labor as well, that want, uh, yeah. you, do you know what I'm saying? So I, I don't know. No, no, I, no. I, I, and I would agree with you halfway. Here, here, here's the opposite of that is that I think that there's a maximum point where, you know, they need to have a certain amount of like academic workers and and, like women are kind of allowed in that space and they obviously need to increase the labor pool. But like you have to stop it at some point because if everyone gets too highfalutin about my ideas should be represented, then that has to be like cut off. What what they really kind of want is they do want sort of like an academic um, swath of society that can sort of put people in their place. But the vast majority of it is like, who's going to sit there and pick the products for Amazon? It's going to be people that they never want to listen to. So you still have to reproduce the um, the proletariat. Right. But, but what would to give people the illusion of kind of free thought thinking whatever meanwhile they propagandize them into serving the bourgeois class interest i think that's that's i understand where you're coming from with that i guess the one thing i would say is that when it comes to analyzing these relations i think sometimes we put or sometimes and this is not really my beef i don't really have a beef with communism but when i speak to a lot of communists there's a lot of emphasis on like the intent of the system 
And as I understand the materials di- or our dialectical materialism and historical materialism, intent doesn't really fucking matter. It's how the system it's it's about the relations between like there doesn't have to be someone out there nefariously planning to actually bring we need more babies right now, so we're going to outlaw abortion. Go tell the justice. Oh, yeah. it, it's that, more, you know. It's just it's as I understand it. It's as productions of the the means of production change, evolve as the relations between the haves and the have-nots happen, and as class dynamics begin to mm-hmm. work themselves out in accordance to those means of production, some policies will just necessarily arise. Like yes, they, that's they, exactly they, our point, right? Okay, so are you saying that this is one of those times when those policies have now necessarily yes. arisen again? It is, it is I, rational. It's like I don't, capitalism hmm. is a rational system. Oh, but like, but religion, is religion is not right. Re- religion, religion is not, and I do think a big push. Religion here. is the guise. Religion is what it is that you use to manipulate the working class into getting behind your policies. Right. But as uh, Engels was saying is in socialism, utopian and scientific, when he's talking about the, 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 how the church lost so much of its power was a lot of it directly attributable to factories and the, the, uh, you know, this aristocracy that lost, you know, uh, its power as well, because, uh, as these factory owners became more and more rich and uh, more and more able to even produce things like, you know, uh, just anything, right? And it just any kind of commodities. Uh, well, but also um, the church and religion was, that was kind of the primary controller of feudalism. And so it's correct. natural that the church would lose control whenever you switch to capitalism. Correct, because correct. that was the ruling class and feudalism. Correct. But and, and again, I'm, I'm glad you, you've read some theory. Oh, girl, you, you, you don't know. I'm, I'm reading Capital right now with oh. Ben Burgess. And every time I go in that class, I feel like a fucking idiot because he's just, everyone's got big brain in there. And I'm just there like, yeah, no. means, of, means of production, commodities. Ooh, commodities. No, that, that, that's not what no it's idea. about. You have to understand yeah. like this type of stuff. If it can, if, if peasants in China can understand it, you don't that's, have to be. Yeah, that's true. That's true. We can all. I mean, it's. I guess just with with capital in particular, when he's talking about, you know, if I have five strings of linen and two cloth and yada yada, and I exchange it for ten ounces of gold, and it gets a little, it gets real economic. That that. Yeah. As much as as much as I love Marx, my fucking god, that dude was pedantic. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he he obviously like. Engels obviously met him. Was like, "Yo, this dude's on some on some shit. I want to give him money to keep doing it." But but he's <laughs> yeah. he's clearly he's clearly like very smart. But pedantic is a good word for it. Um, and sometimes you know, just sometimes it's just going on and on about the same concept, just trying to drill it in. And you know, you're like, "I get yeah, it." Yeah, but it's, it's literally just trying to break down. Like yeah, like th- those are always like the hardest chapters. Like. Volume one is the hardest. Volume two and three are much easier. And that's even from someone like I don't even claim to be a fucking expert. Oh, I hear I, that. I read through it. I've read through it once and it was a total struggle. I hear um, that. I hear that. I'm going to have to go through it again after this just to try to make some of the concepts make sense. I, you know, labor theory of value and some of that. Like once. It's, it's not it, it, 
you said, yeah, that, that starts to make sense. Like that's not too bad. And then like the value through the exchange and also, you know, but I do think other people are more, uh, as far as like understanding communism, like from a, a moral standpoint or why it makes more sense as far as a different system than capitalism and why changing the incentives from like a feudalistic, uh, uh, you know, uh, market where you're exchanging the products of your own labor, a hundred percent, how that doesn't jive with like a capitalist system where you have uh, machine economies that are creating millions of commodities and we're still trading them in a marketplace uh, without addressing or understanding the capacity we have to just end scarcity and how we have to do all these tricks to still make things scarce and to still make things pricey. Uh, Like understanding why those market incentives do not align with modern, like uh, well-being of people. I think, you know, reading people like Ingalls super, helpful to understanding that at least conceptually well, and they're also super against malthusianism right which right. like malthus was like this big proponent of like the world is overpopulated and we need to right exactly and like that that's kind of the difference between like neoliberalism and sort of like more of like the socialist and communist future it's the fact that we can support plenty of people on this planet right it's just going to have to be organized in a way that we don't just expect or propel mass death well you know? the, the idea is always the the creation of capital as an yeah. a means like an ends in and of itself and we've forgotten that capital was really needed for survival other things right it was it was not like just creating capital for more capital is how you get like the jeff bezos and the, the likes and speaking it's of not, it's, it's um, not supposed to be the goal it's supposed it, no, to be it's not supposed to be. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. But, um, I mean, speaking of which, I do think it's going to be interesting to see uh, from this decision. I know it's just a draft opinion, again, for those of you who weren't here before. Things can change. I don't know how likely they are to. I would say it's very unlikely that this uh, ruling flips. It could, theoretically. Maybe whoever leaked it was thinking there. there's two camps of Well, there's kind of like two minds of people who may have leaked it. Some say it may have been like a, you know, like a one of one on the more liberal side of the court who wanted to put this out there to create enough public pressure on the court to uh, maybe convince one of the other justices to flip their vote uh, or change their decision. Another more plausible theory that I've heard is it's probably like a hard wing uh, conservative on the court. Who wants yeah, this draft? Okay. This draft to be the rule you know, of the law. As much as I understand that, that's kind of like explosive and like all that stuff. I don't, I just don't really care. I don't really care. As like, far as what? Well, I mean, I assumed that this was. I assumed that this was coming for a long time. Like that's this is fair. just how the trend has been going and I don't really care who leaked it and people can like like I saw some tweet from Megan Kelly about like this person should be you can't leak SCOTUS decision. Oh go uh, fuck it. Uh, like, yeah. Number one, I am pers I am personally fine with any fucking leak that exposes the government's dirty dealings. I I, I agree with that. I agree with that hundred percent. So I don't care who leaked it and, and whose interest it serves. I don't care. It was obviously a plan. It's obviously something that has been been worked towards 
for decades now. As far as the 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 row overturning row versus Wade, yeah, is the plan. I mean, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, and I don't care. And yeah. it's just like this is the reason why, as and any women listening out there, um, I have health insurance. I have all this other type of stuff. I actually happen to work and work for a Catholic um, health. Uh, I work for a Catholic hospital, so they okay. don't. They don't allow me to get birth control. Okay. Damn. Yeah. That's that's, that's so fucking goofy, dude. That's so mm-hmm. goofy. What are they doing? But I ended up calling, like, I, I called Planned Parenthood years ago. And, and so I'd heard about the, the implant. You can get it in your arm. Um, and so I heard about the implant and I, like, called them, Planned Parenthood, and I was like, hey, uh, how you doing? How how much is that implant? And it was close to two grand. Ugh. Now, if you get it put in your arm, it lasts for what what's on the label. It's three years, but as long as you're not menstruating, you're covered. Um, so it actually is projected to last up to five years. So I've got about two years left. Jeez. Um, so I called Planned Parenthood and they were going to charge me two grand. And then I called my state health institution and I was like, hey, is there any chance that I can get this done? And they were like, yeah. And I was like, how much does it cost? And they were like, 800. And I was like, okay, well, that's still pretty expensive. And the lady just like literally, like you can tell she just like cupped like the phone and she was like, we don't go after people over bills. See, that's. Uh, that's pretty dope, though. That's cool. I did that. Yeah. So basically, she told me, make an appointment. This is how much it costs. Whenever you come in and they ask you, hey, here's the cost, you say, I can't afford that. And then they'll say, okay. And they write it off. So if you can get the implant, it lasts about five years. It will be free if you go through probably your state institutions, but try to ask some questions to get around it. Um, so uh, I have insurance and all I had to do was essentially go in there and say, I can't afford that because I'm not covered by it. And she basically said, we're not going to go after you. I have never seen a single bill, any piece of paper from my state health. See, that's awesome. That's really cool. I, I I love hearing about like, I don't know, just stories where people are just being, you know, fucking human beings and helping each other out. Yeah. And, yeah, but I, I guess that brings up another question then, Shelly. Like, okay, mm-hmm. we, I, I tend to agree that it doesn't matter who leaked it, except to like try to understand the motive for doing so. Um, I, I guess... Where where I'm really stuck on this is like, where do we go from here? Because I don't want to, I don't want to have to depend on the kindness of a Planned Parenthood stranger right. to, because look, there are 23 states now, like 22 or 23 states that with, when this ruling comes out, they're just fucking immediately going to outlaw abortion, just straight up. They're, they're not going to even do any of the exceptions for health or anything like that. They're, because, look, this is also a political football 
that looks like it's, it's to, to a voting base. It's a culture war football, and it's a it's like they're winning. They don't care about the actual effects that it has on people. They don't care. They're, they're still going to get abortions all the time. They'll get their own abortions. They'll get abortions for whatever people they impregnate, just, you know, to save their political careers or whatever. They don't give a fuck. They don't have, like, an actual... And it's just for the bourgeoisie. Yeah, it's, 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 it's madness. It's madness that, that they're... I, this, is, this is what frustrates me so much about politics, is I'm like, dude, like, didn't then, like... I don't understand what, like, is it just about maintaining their power and doing that through any means necessary? And the fact yeah. that this is a, uh, like a, a, oh, okay. Well, that answers my yeah. question. Well, I mean, but, but to be, but to be more like generous as far as that goes is yeah. I don't see much difference between the democratic and the Republican parties. Oh, I, I a hundred percent agree with like where it matters. Where a lot of yeah. things really matter, look, and I'm not saying abortion doesn't matter. It absolutely does. This is one of the few places where there's no, abortion some does, difference. But even that's, even that's, here's a secret, even that difference is actually in probably name only when you have Nancy Pelosi out in Texas who is about. campaigning for a, uh, a pro-life That's uh, exactly what I'm talking about. There are when no you have Joe Manchin who is, uh, you know, saying he's pro-life, like, that's all like, so yeah, not much difference. I, I'll, I'll, I'll give you that. I, I mean, they're, they're better. They have a kinder and gentler message, but every single time that we throw the fucking football to the democratic party, yeah, what do you do? They waffle. They I mean, fuck yeah. it up. Let, let, and then they blame it on people. They exactly. Blame they blame it. I've seen so many posts on Twitter today of people blaming Susan fucking Sarandon for somehow causing this to happen. Individual I, that's ever lived. I, I don't know how. Maybe she. I don't know how she changed the opinions of the Supreme Court. Maybe they had like a late night showing of uh, Speed Racer, and she, you know, took them around the track. I don't know. Maybe she gave them a tour of the set or something. Like it doesn't make any fucking sense. How like they're now punching left. And here's the thing. Let's they just, all- just a little bit, because I, I, I'll probably have to stop caring about politics at some point, but I can't right now, so I just got to say this. Like, no, one of the I, things I that really, it, because okay. look, you're right, you're right. There's no difference between them, but, but, and the, I'm not even saying that this is like, there are, there have been promises explicitly made on one side here, right? Uh-huh. Well, on both sides, Republicans have for a while now said, hey, we're going to take this. We're going to overrule Roe v. Wade. They've been very honest about that. But there have been some pretty fucking explicit promises from the Democrats about protecting this particular issue right here. And one of those promises was made by Obama back in 2007. Hold on. Hold on. on. So the Republicans started 40, 50 years ago, and they said, we're going to do something about this. Correct. And what did they do? Yes. They started. They started organizing. They started doing. All, they started building power. They started having all these mechanisms in order to right. enforce the rule. They've done this over decades, and they've been promising, and they've been telling their people it's going to happen. And you know yes. what Democrats do? Every Me, single what? time it comes around, it's like, oh no, it's just this one. If you just yeah. give us this one chance, 
then we're going to make a difference. It's going to be radical, a radical difference. And every single time the Democrats fail. And meanwhile, the Republicans have been sitting there and building their power, building everything that they need. And then whenever we hear this Roe versus Wade situation come up, everyone's like, oh, what a shock. Shelly, 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 it's worse than that. It's worse than that. It's not just that Republicans have been building their power. They have been. Democrats have had multiple opportunities to shut this shit down. Multiple opportunities, and they have not taken them. Obama in 2007, who made an explicit promise that the first thing he'll do when he gets into office is codify Roe v. Wade. And lo and behold, 2009 comes along and he says, well, I don't want to do something that's going to be that divisive. Dude, then why the fuck are you in the driver's seat? If you don't want to do anything that's actually going to change the material conditions for people on the ground, if you don't actually want to do shit that's going to make you unpopular because it's the right thing to do, why the fuck are you here? Like, go home. Go do your Netflix show and your stupid-ass podcast with Bruce Springsteen that no one fucking listens to. Like, I I just... It it pisses me. It's like, I don't understand. I think... I, I don't know when it happened... Maybe I've been stupid this whole time, but so many people in government have lost the plot that it's, 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 it's crazy. Like, I don't, I don't know what they were expecting. And I guess that goes somewhat to your point of maybe they've been in on it the whole time, but it's like, dude, when you've had, all of these opportunities to do this. And even people, you know, people were talking shit about Ruth Bader Ginsburg for not stepping down. And yeah, she just stepped her ass down. Go home, dude. Like, go you, home. You are home. You, you know, you have fucking cancer. You're you, literally sitting there yeah. and lifting five pound fucking dumbbells. So yes. you can show up and make a fucking difference. Meanwhile, almost every single ever, whenever any decision has come up, that rules against corporate or business interests, she's just like checks off on it. Hell yeah. Fuck yeah. Yeah. I'm Ginsburg. But then when it comes down to culture issues, we lionize her. It's it's because so much of politics today is just culture war, culture war, culture war. Not no one for some I, I don't know because there look, there have been a few times in American history where people have gone beyond culture war. And actually did shit. All right. And yeah. I know and and not just and of course, activists, activists and people have done shit for a long time and all moments of history when it was hardest and they should be lionized more than anybody. A hundred percent like the people. But like when you see someone like Teddy Roosevelt actually take on antitrust, that's that was him going ham. And I would like to know, and, and it seemed to be, a lot of that seemed to be, he just wanted to use the position to change shit for people. And when you see FDR passing a lot of the New Deal legislation and everything, look, there are so many problems. I know we can sit here and criticize them as much as we can. You know, keeping farmers out of a lot of the New Deal, New Deal provisions because they were all black. And we can't have any people who are black getting actual, you know, like... Uh, benefits here but like there have at least been times when it seemed like the political class or some of the people who were at least gaining the power were doing something and what's so crazy to me right now is we've gone goddamn like 50 years 
or some odd years without anyone really doing shit except stuff like going to war. And and because we don't have a strong left, just because we're talking yeah. about the Roe versus yeah. Wade situation, yeah. do you know the very first nation that legalized abortion? You're going to say some fucking kick. Uh, you I'm know what? Gonna guess it. Hold on. Hold on. No, 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 no. I want to guess. I want to guess. Mm. I'm going to go with uh, Cuba. Nope. 1920, under Lenin, the Soviet Union legalized the Oh, God, I was so close. I was just 50 oh, years you were, old. You were close temperature. by 40 years. <laughs> <laughs> like, you, you've got to understand. Like, yeah. the communist line has yeah. always been this way. Yeah. There are definitely steps back that it's taken in order to kind of fight war or, like, Send off fascism and Nazis, but yeah. they're very, very principled. Very well, principled. I, I, I'll say this. I'll say this. My, my, the reason I'm still communist light, and then um, I know you have to go to go with your yeah, and get some dinner. But uh, and we'll talk. This will be the next call in. Is we'll talk, or well, the next time I have a call in, or one of these times when I'm a little more informed. Or just, about, or just talk, holler I'm, at me. We can talk. Like that's true. That's talk true. Talk offline for a couple uh, hours. Just give me your number, and we can just chat. <laughs> all right, yeah, maybe I'll just do that. Yeah, because yeah. the at least to. But one one thing I'd like to discuss a lot more of is I do think I think a lot of the stuff I've read about communism makes a ton of sense, or at mm-hmm. least socialism. Like I don't know if I mm-hmm. if I can yet get behind the idea that there's no state ever. Because I don't know if that's realistically, at least in the international world that we live in right yeah. now, if that's actually something that can happen. I'm not sure. I'm not saying it can't, but I'm not sure. I. But one thing that oh, I think utopian point. Right, right, right. Exactly. Um, but the 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 one thing that I I'm always trying to figure out is uh, management and transition of power in 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 communist uh, regimes because that that seems to be one of the points that, you know, Marx died before he could, before they could set up the political plans for it. So the theoretical Mm -hmm. plans are all very good, but the political actual management of the class that is, you know, running the bureaucratic arms of the state that are necessary for the transition of, of worker ownership and, and moving, you know, workers into the means of production, there's not really a, a, check and balance system that's really there and 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 we're kind of seeing that i think you know you could argue in a lot of ways well you can't really argue that china's doing it the best but because they're really they're like they're you know they're sort of pseudo communist and their record on human rights is obviously not great but like that's another conversation that we can have yeah i mean like it's that's gonna be a hard one to convince me on no, just because I, I think, I, I'm not, I think I'm not can... saying that it's it's worse than America's necessarily but no, I, pretty, I think that's one know. that we should have a debate offline yeah and then maybe maybe we could like maybe I could be a guest on your burgeoning show yeah and, the, and the we could hit. kind of define some lines of argument yeah yeah that that's a good idea too well then we should do that but that's that's the one thing about communism. I'm really trying to understand at least yeah. as we go forward, how the actual levers of power work and transition smoothly. Uh, 
Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's just essentially a system where you have to exist in the world that you're presented with. So if you exist That's in a correct. mostly capitalist world, then you have to assume capitalist dispositions. So you, it, it's not perfect, but yeah. if you're going to be bombed, destroyed, overtaken, cooed, whatever, yeah. then there's a certain amount of give and take that you have to have. And so everyone looks at it and they go, my God, yeah, they're not socialists. They're capitalists. Well, they're capitalists because they exist in a capitalist world. Well, China, because they inflate and deflate the value of their currency and understand our markets better than we do. And fuck them. Absolutely just are are gangster when it comes to uh, market manipulation, especially with their own. Kind of say like like every single time I hear the argument of like, oh, my God, we shipped our jobs overseas. Yeah. I'm kind of like, oh, so did did you understand that communists actually understand capitalism better than capitalists? I got to remember that guy's name who in China, who was really instrumental to I always forget his name. It's not Xi Jinping. It's it's a. It's a well, it's, we had we had Mao and he did the he was kind of more of yeah. the Stalinist. He was kind of yeah. more of the industrialization. And then you had Deng yeah. Xiaoping. Yeah, who opened it up? Who's it? Is that is that the economist who opened them up too? Who was like their uh, their guy? No, they okay. they weren't economists. They were just communist party leaders. Ding Jiaping let in more like market stuff because, and also that's Lenin's new economic policy. Like even yeah. Lenin back in 1920 said, this is what you need to do to build a socialist society. You have yeah. to allow in markets. And then people go, China's not communist because they allowed in markets. But Lenin also said, we need markets. Uh, there's definitely a place for markets. I'm not trying to say that because mm-hmm. it, it does have a need for like supply and actual demand aspects. It's just whenever yeah. the market um, a uh, the sole purpose of the market is just to generate additional capital is when you really start running into more issues. But Shelly, uh, yes. lo- okay. let me, let, let me let you go. I have to yeah. absolutely go and have dinner with my boyfriend. Um, Rika has been literally sitting here and just She's spamming so us with messages. So patient so and she kind. needs to get on the phone and she yes. needs to entertain me while I drive 30 minutes to my boyfriend's house. Yeah. So get <laughs> on the good. line, Rika. All right, Rika, it's your turn. Let's go. Well, thanks. Uh, thanks for calling, Shelly. Always thanks, a pleasure. Bye. 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 All right. Rika, you can go ahead and unmute yourself. What's happening? Hey, bye. Um, y'all are hilarious. Um, <laughs> and you're like, I feel like I'm like in like that lefty um, corner of the coffee shop listening to folks kind of just dish on shit is kind of cute right um i don't and i don't mean that condescendingly i love it i like miss it actually um (laughs) so i'm just curious because you were talking a lot about how i mean i mean you're being very honest and forthcoming with like your perspective on like almost like disillusionment or not not i don't want to say disillusionment but just kind of like like a guess like at how deep and corrupt and awful this system is, you know? And 
and you're saying you're like communist curious and stuff like that. So I'm just kind of curious, like where, like, what is your theory? I don't mean this like theoretically, like you have to cite a text. I'm not even interested in that, but like personally, what is your theory of power? And also like, where have you experienced power like in your life? That is a fantastic question. And God, such a, such a difficult one. It started when I was just 10 years old, Southern Illinois. Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't want to go into my whole, I guess, history. I, I guess, look, I guess my theory of powers is, is, can generally be summarized by, uh, Power is, to some extent, an inevitability. Uh, it is something that will be wielded by people okay. over other people uh, to the extent that they can get it. But I think that, I guess where I really will not, or, or what I've really come to think about power uh, is that it demands or, or, or for the sort of society that I want to live in, where people's needs are taken care of, where people are not constantly just living lives to be exploited mm-hmm. for people to have autonomy over their own relationships and their bodies. And, and just the, the ability to just have more control over their time. I think that power is sort of a necessary component of enacting uh, the justice that's needed for that to happen. So I don't uh, I'll put it this way. I don't I don't believe in that there can be a world where people are not ruling or, or not not ruling, but wielding power over others. OK, um, but I do believe that, I guess, I think it was Martin Luther King Jr. who had a really good uh, sort of take on, I think it was Nietzsche, on on the demands of, like, love and justice and power. How, like, I think it's he says, you know, love without power is, uh, like, anemic and ineffective, uh, and power without love is brutal and authoritarian, something along those lines. But he says, you know, what is needed is, like, uh, a love, I don't know, like a love that love with power is sort of this force that uh, can enact true justice. Let me see if I can find that. Cause this oh. is, I, I'm like fucking it up, but uh, that's an interesting question though. What, what makes you ask that question about power though? Well, because I, I just think when I'm always just curious to hear what people... So I've been an organizer, been a union organizer. Okay. My whole MO has been to, like, work with people to build real power for them and actually make concrete change in their lives. Like, that's been my whole MO. And in our conversations with people, we have to, like... We have to really get them to a place where they understand who has power... Yes. In their, in their workplace and who doesn't. Yes. And and how to change that, right? Yeah. And it's a it's a real conversation. It's not theoretical. I'm not quoting um 
Mao or Nietzsche. <laughs> right, 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 <laughs> you know right. what I mean? Like, I'm not, it's right. very real. It's very like, right. you know, right. like your boss can do this. You can't, they can right. tell you this. You can't, you know what I mean? Right. And, and so that's why I'm asking is because I think it, you know, it's, it, it feels like to me, the, the, the ruling class, they have all the power right now, right? They can do whatever they want. Correct. And, and Correct. exactly what Shelley was saying, this isn't a direct democracy. This is a representative liberal democracy. So it's just, I, I, they can always get away with murder, you know, and will literally here after all of this. Um, well, they will. Oh, I don't mean to interrupt. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I Go ahead. I, I, I was just going to say they will unless that power is taken. Right. Unless it's so, taken by people who are having uh who the elites are now currently exerting or exercising power over. Right. right. And that's what I think about when I'm, when I'm talking about my theory of power um, and I found the quote and I'll read it, but okay. uh, power is, you know, generally I see it as having a means with which to enact your will. That's right. And some people use that power <laughs> specifically mm-hmm. um, to, take your will away and to mm-hmm. exercise uh, a domain over your autonomy, which mm-hmm. is what, you know, which is really what a Roe v. Wade type decision is. Now we can get into the particulars of this decision and everything about how, the, how they're going to say, well, this is really empowering people because now it, it gives the rights to the States, but good fucking luck. If you're in a state where even if you're in a state where it's a 60% people, 60% of people or 80% of people or 90% of people want to outlaw abortion. Guess what? If you're in that 10%, people are exercising power over your bodily autonomy. Absolutely. Still happening. Absolutely. So eat my yeah. ass. That's a bad legal reasoning. It's a bad right. legal reasoning that this should even be fucking voted on. Right? right. It should be something that it's autonomy we're talking about. But mm-hmm. um, the quote that I like from Martin Luther King Jr. was goes like this. Uh, power without love is reckless and abusive, and love without power is sentimental and anemic. Power at its best is love, implementing the demands of justice, and justice justice at its best is power correcting everything that stands against love. Hmm. Uh, I think that's pretty dope, and I, I know that like there's there's always a tension. I think when we talk about politics or when we talk about shaping society or when we talk about a decision like Roe versus Wade or this, uh, this leaked uh, Dobbs versus uh, Jackson Women's Health Organization, um, there's always this tension between power as, or, or not just even power, but like politics and, and sort of power and, and, and like theoretical concepts and the practical applications like the, 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 you know, what happens actually in practice and what we are experiencing more on a, like a theoretical level. Um, mm. And I, I, I guess I would say you, you need, look, what happens, what matters at the end of the day is what's practically happening. That's but right. That's you right. need, you need, and I don't want to just throw away the utility that comes from the conceptual more theoretical expressions of some of these things. Like I know wonks, sometimes they're too wonky. It's like, dog, we've had enough. We get it. 
my life sucks. I'm working at fucking Amazon. What can you do for me? Don't tell me about love without power. It's like, like, shut the fuck up and please. Like, I just want to have time to spend with my kids. You know, like, I get that. But there's, you know, there's the theoretical frameworks can help you understand the aggregate a little more. And one of the ways that I, I really fear about how politics work right now and why they're so effective and why the culture war is so effective is it really takes you out of the aggregate a lot of the times and puts you in a position with you and your kids. What are they teaching your kids? What are they, how are they influencing your kids? It's a very personalized message, but that has no interest in actually changing your life in a good way. Right. Mm. So then they can go to these, you know, like any kind of minority group, you know, and, and trans people are the ones getting fucking shit on right now constantly in, in, in the culture war, which is so. First of all, that's an unfair fucking fight because the numbers just from a pure numbers standpoint, it's fucking unfair. Like you're going after the most the one of the least vocal minorities in the country, one of the, uh, the minorities that already has some of the highest rates of, you know, the crime that you're so concerned about solving. Right. Like they're the victims of a ton of it. And, and, mm. and you're marginalizing them and painting them as an enemy so that you can turn to a voter and say uh, that person, though, you see that person, they're the real danger. Like this mm. is what the real issue is. And it affects their lives or they it, it's it's packaged in a way that makes them think that this is a practical sort of solution and that their their vote is practically doing something powerful for them and it's not it is Mm -hmm. it is an illusion and if you don't understand theoretically what the fuck they're doing by Mm -hmm. trying to paint the message in this way that attacks the individual that that personalizes it to you. If you don't understand that, oh, this is all bad faith shit. This is all them. Like, this is all helping them maintain their own theoretical framework, like this big aggregate framework of power as it exists and doing actually nothing for you, which mm-hmm. is why you have, you know, it's important to understand. Like, I mean, look, when you look at... Um, any kind of mass movement, you're a labor organizer. You organize unions. So you're, you're already doing God's work, by the way. So uh, thank you for that. I, I, that's amazing and, and admirable. Uh, but even that power that they have to use has to be in the aggregate with one another. They have to make a wave, right? Because they don't get to act. They, they're so powerless in comparison to the people, the capitalists who have power over them and the, the managers who have power over them, that uh, they're unable to actually change the conditions of their own autonomy without understanding theoretically how the aggregate of their individual power is more powerful than the capitalists. You know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Yeah, I I hear you. I think I'm not, and I'm, I I am a nerdy theory wonky person and also woo woo person. So like I I'm in I'm I I have that as you know and I value yeah. that. I think um it's important when we're talking about how do we move people right to yeah. take action. I don't know if I rely on it 
to develop my analysis actually, because sometimes that theory doesn't actually land with what's happening um, in real life. You know, when you're going from that theoretical, you know, like for example, Catherine Liu is like this really beloved um, theorist right now who keeps talking about the PMC and how they're going to be class traders, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, um, and she describes them as like being like the, the credentialed class, the people who don't right. physically labor. And I'm like, girl, what, what economy are you talking about? Right. right. Now? Like, right. you know, and, and, and right. the people that I have organized are typically white collar. And I'm not saying there's not a meaningful difference in terms of their labor, but a lot of the people that I organize, if you had their conversation and they talked to a janitor, they would find out that they actually have a lot of shit in common. Absolutely. And, and Absolutely. Yeah. So I guess when I'm, when I'm, the, the, my whole point in asking you that was more about just just trying to better understand kind of where you were coming from in terms of because I think if we continue to look at look to I think this is a tension in this you know you're obviously in like the bad faith space and stuff like that so right. it comes up a lot in in terms of like electoralism versus like direct action I don't think I think that's a false economy you, you, yes. we have a system of power you have to um, if you want to move at that level of power, you have to organize within it, et cetera, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, I, I do think that there is a way in which we have re- like the fact that people continue to rely on Democrats to move. And yeah. I'm not saying you doing this, but I'm saying that like we, we, they have, only responded to force you know what i mean they only respond to the force equation and it's either with withholding money or withholding votes or with or with literally disrupting their lives and making correct living correct mobilization the likes etc exactly exactly like i mean even looking at like the the whole response around Biden with student debt, right? Like it's, it's a response because there's an organized base of people who are willing to cause a lot of havoc and also organize people to not vote for them. Right. Like, so it's like, it's, it, I guess what I'm, all I'm trying to get at is just that I think in this case with the Roe v. Wade stuff, you know, you're like, what's next? Well, I mean, what do we do? I mean, I mean, you shut shit down. <laughs> you yeah. shut shit down. You, 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 this, I, you shut everything down. Everything exactly. Shut down. Exactly. Yeah. I, and, and, and Rika, you're, I think you're a hundred percent right on that's, that's one thing that I haven't even hit on here yet is, okay, so how does the, this being the opinion that's going to come out, how do you use this as a mobilization effort or some, some aspect to actually practically translate this decision into a a movement that says hell no and that forces something else to happen that forces that puts the pressure on the people who are currently holding power over us to do something uh or to take the people who would be you know there there are going to be so many like people in the the liberal space who are who just can't believe this is happening and who are, you know, some of them are going to punch left. Some of them are going to, you know, but there are going to be a lot of disaffected people here when it comes mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. the Democrats inability to actually do shit to protect this, to stop this from happening. Um, yeah. What do you, what do we do with that? 
what how how do we harness that and what how can we make that my, my thing is always like okay how how can we take tragedy and mm-hmm. and pain and all of this shit that keeps happening to us and use it to translate that into like just ass whooping like just mo- yeah. like how yeah. do you take that and make it into uh you know we're making lemonade out here baby you know how it is right like, yeah it, yeah it's how do we make that lemonade and and yeah there's a real um there's an opportunity here i don't know how this is going to play out with a lot of people i i, I know it's not going to play out well this decision and it it shouldn't because again this is a straight up decision if it stays in this current draft um that overrules a, a long-standing precedent yeah. which is going yeah. to throw the court's legitimacy into question for, for good sure. reasons for, for good sure. reasons but yeah. even that pressure this is not there's been um you know i don't know how much all of you know about the switch in time that saved nine but this was around uh during the new deal era uh the justices were not we're, we're overruling a lot of FDR's uh, uh, laws and, and sort of initiatives and calling them unconstitutional. So FDR said, Hey, I'm going to expand the Supreme court. Like I'm doing it. And suddenly all of those Supreme court justices started voting a different way and they switched mm-hmm. their votes and started mm-hmm. upholding all of his shit, the same mm-hmm. shit he was trying to do before uh, mm-hmm. because they realized that their legitimacy was really in question. I think, look, maybe that's a good way. Maybe the expand the court conversation is one that something we should get behind, at least like the, uh, to, to push, at least to put enough pressure on that aspect of power while we're <laughs> mobilizing ourselves. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, I think, I think by there are, um, for all multiple ways it's gonna cat you know like yeah. there 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 are and the the choice of what you do is based on where you're at in the work right that's true that's right? true right you know what i mean like like it, this kind of that kind of conversation of what do we do you know it start it, it starts for me in the work that i'm connected to or the work that i'm already doing right and it's like right. if i'm at, if i'm not in a doing the work of organizing or part of a collective or whatever, like if you're not in some type of political formation, then you need to get into one, <laughs> right? right. And you yeah. need to get into one to, yeah. because that is how you figure out what makes sense, right? For you both as like an individual. And then that translates into what you're doing collectively with people. Like, so, so in my experience, when I, when I'm working with workers, right, we're, 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 we have something very, very concrete that we're trying to do. We're trying to form a union and it's through that formation of that union and the establishment of the, that contract that we will enact all the changes that we need to make in the workplace. And it's right. through that process that we mobilize people, develop people, develop that quote unquote class consciousness, right? Like that it's literally through that process. So it's, it's kind of all, but it's all related to like and the the details of when do we march on the boss? When do we do um when do we do that action outside the boss's office? When do we have the conversation with the person that we need to get to vote in the elect? You know, all of right. those all right. of that stuff happens inside of conversations of people who are working together 
and are organized and are, you know what I mean? Like the debt collective, they're having their conversations and they're organized. So it's like, I, I could, I think it's, I think your idea is right and great. I just think that that's like, you know, one piece of it, the, the piece that I think you can't, if we want to talk theory just for a second, then I have a question for you around cult, culture wars and what you consider culture wars, but, um, okay, shoot, yeah. But when we're, you know, we're, we're just to indulge the theory for a second, we're always in capitalism. So there's always got to be an economic lever here. Like, and on, a, on, a, on an issue this massive, this wide scale, like, you have to have actions that result in some type of negative ne- economic impact for the ruling class, period, and point blank. And so you, there should be, from my perspective, labor organizations, labor unions coming out and organizing their people around this effort um, and doing actions with community groups who are going to probably be doing actions around this kind of, around this issue in particular. I think one thing to, to, you know, the the BLM gets a lot of shit (laughs) for, and I I think a lot of it's sometimes unwarranted, um, but as a movement, um, what they really, really demonstrated as someone who's worked with a lot of organizers who were involved with that locally in Minneapolis, um, the participation in direct actions can be a really powerful way to um, get people to confront uh, directly with the like apparatus of power, like really hardcore. You know, it's, and I think a lot of people need to start also doing that around this issue for a couple of reasons. One, because if we didn't have those mobilizations, we didn't have all that stuff happening, then the news and the media would have just, you know, went on to the next person that was getting murdered by the police. Right. And not even thought twice about it. Do you know right. what I mean? Right. Not even that's, covered it. that's a great point. That's a really good point. You know, be, so yeah. it's, this is going to be, I think we're going to need, and people have been, so, you know, there have been Pervy Patel. I think she was in Indiana. She was charged with like feticide or something like that. She was like thrown in prison for feticide or something uh-huh. like that. You know, a long time. And this is like, I think it had to have been like maybe six years ago or something like that. But yeah. anyway, my point is that people have been already like, <laughs> like charged and prosecuted for violating these horrible laws that are rolling back these right right like so and, and uh, people have been organizing around that so i think there's like probably infrastructure and a lot of a lot of things that have already established around specifically access to abortion care and and the laws that are restricting abortion care um uh that i think people can plug into but to um ask so there's there's a lot of there's a lot of this anti-culture war rhetoric i hear it all the time in leftist spaces and i'm and i get where it's coming from um where people are trying to articulate this frenzy and phenomena where people are battling against each other and around very polarizing issues based around like their beliefs of something like that's my understanding of what the culture war is but what i also hear a way a lot of people use it is to describe people who are not just fighting along class or economic issues um as if they have no material 
basis for how they impact people's lives. And I'm just, I'm just curious. I, I'm curious how you feel when you use the culture word, what you mean. From my perspective, I'm, I feel like part of why we're here around some of these issues is that we don't, we don't recognize that some of these issues are, have like a real direct economic and material, it, it, just not even economic. We're talking about people's bodies. 100%. Literally 100%. people's bodies, you know, and like, it does not, for some reason, that's dismissed as culture war. Like, I just, I just don't get it. I just don't, I just don't get that. How, how we're categorizing these issues like that. Oh, fucking good ass point, Rika. Rika, I, I wish I had a round of applause. Just, uh, I don't know. What do you call it? Like a, a sound, <laughs> sound, 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 bite, just soundboard play. Bite. Yeah. I wish I had a whole board now. Just to give you the rah-rahs and everything from uh, from every point that you just made about how, you know, they're not going to react to uh, this, uh, anything that we do unless we make them feel it economically in our response to this uh, this crazy ruling or this draft to just the insight you have with the culture war thing. So bravo for that. Um, so my, my, my understanding of the culture war is more like a spectrum Mm -hmm. and the spectrum goes from like, uh, real and, uh, like, I guess like real, I guess more, maybe like, it's like a graph, like one of those four way graphs, right? Four quadrants. And Mm -hmm. on one axis is like, uh, real. And then on the end is like made up. Mm-hmm. And then at <laughs> yeah. the top is like affects people's lives mm-hmm. or like doesn't do shit. Right. <laughs> and so when I'm thinking everything culture war, there are some things that are sort of just like more made up and doesn't do shit. You know, mm-hmm. everything from Obama wearing a tan suit kind of culture war. Oh, the presidency, the, the, the sanctimony of the presidency or whatever the hell, Mm -hmm. like it's, that's complete bullshit, right? It's Mm -hmm. complete stuff. Like doesn't matter. Then you get more into like, I, around that area too, I would put this, this made up CRT in schools debate. Totally. Which is completely, that that to me is like the epitome of culture war right now. That is that. I completely agree with that. Yeah. Then we can go into stuff like the don't say gay bill. And now we're in the real quadrant. Yeah. People's like, this is real. Yeah. But it's being used and weaponized in a way that's completely bad faith. We're not having an actual conversation about it here. They're trying to, they're not trying to have an actual conversation. They're trying to frame this as something that needs to be an actual conversation. And that's already an issue that hurts their children so that they can now use that to just weaponize it. So even uh, to me, it's like, and uh, you know, the whole point of that is not that like, look, people aren't actually being hurt by this. They are. And that makes it less of like a pure culture war than something like CRT. Yeah. I, I, I get it. And I, I vibe with that. I think I'm just, um, 
I think I see the right use this, the this like neo-fascist populist right use that yeah. term a lot. And they use it to dis and they use it in a way, and I shouldn't say neo-fascist because I don't think I'm I'm thinking in the I'm always thinking the people I'm thinking in the back of my mind are like Sagar from Breaking Points. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> and, and, yeah he, he's really fucking annoying with it right now because he's doing he's saying all the trans ideology. Yes. Stuff, which he, what is that? What I, like Okay, so 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 I we'll we'll put a pen in that. We'll come back to that. Yeah, but the yeah, the, yeah. the whole um the whole he often will say culture war and what he'll refer to like is something like defund the police or, right. or right. anything to deal with race right. <laughs> or racism. <laughs> right. Like, and there's a way in which if it's not based on how much someone's making or the economy, they use it. And it, in a way it aligns with some leftist. And they all kind of like use it to dismiss the substantive conflicts that are happening. Mm -hmm. And I think we have to be a little bit more sophisticated when we use that term and also be more as, as if we're respond, if we're, if we're people who are engaging in or organizing and political actors in this, within this discourse, I think we should, it it is, it is incumbent upon us, I, I believe to, interject when that term is used and to materially articulate the aspects of issues or to articulate the material aspects of issues that they're deeming are irrelevant. So, right. Like being, you know, eyes on the prize and astute, right. When they're trying to create a there, that's not there, but also like, okay. So for instance, the CRT stuff, they've been trying to ban ethnic studies for forever. Right. Listen, I I was in when I was an undergrad. One of the things that I was organizing around was the SB ten seventy bill that was in Arizona. That was not only about like like trying to attack undocumented immigrants, but then there was also like some other shit that was going on around literally banning ethnic studies from schools, and like that was in twenty twenty ten, right? Like right. That, so this stuff has been going on and. One could, I could articulate that, like, there is a material consequence to banning the conversations around our history with systemic oppression in this country, right? Like, I could, I could go there. And I think we should have moments where we do go there and challenge people. But, like, with the CRT thing, they were just, they were calling things that were CRT that weren't CRT. Right. You know what I mean? Exactly. So, so, but, but then we dismiss challenging that because it's a quote unquote culture war. So it's irrelevant. So it's, you know what I mean? So like we, we, I guess what I'm trying to get at is just that it is unsatisfactory for me now. Like you could literally deduce everything to a culture war actually. Like if you really want to go there, you could literally say everything is culture war, you know, because right. it, so, so what, at some point we got to stop using that as an excuse to not engage in hard conversations with people and be better at having and engaging with them. Like what Brianna does, you know, which is why I asked her about that on the last podcast that we were we, like, 
she engages with it, but then she pivots and she reframes it and puts the spotlight back into the to ding, the brain, ding, ding. You ding. know, that's exactly that's the solution. That's Exa- the solution. Exactly. It, uh, the 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 degree to which uh, a lot of the uh, like, look, a, a big. Well, first of all, just for your whole bit here. <laughs> <laughs> You're a mess. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Bravo. Bravo. Uh, again, fantastic. And also, uh, a good reminder t- for me to not just fall into that same conversation piece of, or that same talking point of starting to call things culture war and, you know, fa- falling into that trap. Because here's the thing, is that I do think that trying to make the culture war the big or, or parts of this is things like CRT in schools, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. something that we should engage in, but the proportion with which we should engage in compared to the proportion to which it's an actual problem. That's right. School. Yeah. Yep. And then when that conversation is actually being framed on their terms, mm-hmm. then we're fighting now over an election or, or we're fighting over a, a non-issue or what should be a non-issue in an election where we're trying to materially change the conditions of people's lives. Yep. And none of this will. And that's, that's the frustration I think that people feel. I think it's a reason why people on the left, well, people like myself, why I, I'm so quick to dismiss it, but Mm -hmm. the, the, uh, there's a real look, if you want to see, you know, how important framing of a conversation is, uh, go back and and watch some of that O.J. Simpson trial with Johnny right. Cox. Right. The trial became more about look. Mark Furman, the cop who did the led the investigation on that, mm-hmm. is a fucking racist. Like he said the n word multiple times on a recording, and they somehow got that, which means he said it on some other recording somewhere. It's around there. He's he like he's legitimately a racist. But this was a case about. A double homicide, right? Mm-hmm. Does the fact that he was racist change the fact that O.J. Simpson's DNA was all over that shit? Like, no. Mm-hmm. But the power of framing the conversation in that way means that a jury walked away and said, no, we don't think he did it. And that, to me, is when, I, when, when people dismiss or look at politics and, and say, well, it's all culture war and we shouldn't be fighting the culture war. I think that's where that that um, instinct or that mm-hmm. impulse comes from. Mm-hmm. But you are 100%, look, you are 100% right in, one, look, calling out how leftists shouldn't just, one, refuse to engage with it at all mm-hmm. or totally dismiss it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also in that, look, there, there are actual stakes in some of these com- in some of these exactly visions too exactly. there are real stakes there and, real stakes yeah. uh i think that's you know there's a tendency of of leftist organizations too and this will be this will probably be where we end it soon because i mm-hmm. i promised someone i'd go out and meet them for for drinks because i'm an idiot and didn't think this would take this long but uh look th- there there's some real aspects of you know um more lefty organizations, which, uh, you know, like the DSA and, and other lefty organizations who 
have conflicts a lot and are oftentimes called out for the degree to which they end up being just a a political tool of more sort of Bernie bro, uh, you know, white cis males or whatever who aren't actually listening to the needs or the the demands of, uh, or, you know, or des- the desires of their uh, other members. Yeah. And I think that's a 10, you know, if you're in a minority class too, and people are constantly saying, well, your issues don't matter because it's just culture war. Uh, you're kind of alienating a lot of people there in, yeah. in the aggregate, right? And you're also not helping people who, if, you're, if your goal here is to, really, is to really empower the working class, then you want to empower all parts of it and all the people in it. If the, if the goal here is to put like, power back into people's hands, then... That's everybody's hands here. And that means addressing the places where people are disproportionately uh, have a disproportionate amount of power out of their hands because of issues particular to them. That's right. Uh, And that's look, it's we need to do. I need to for sure do better at that, because, you know, sometimes you just start saying shit like sometimes I'll just say shit be like, yeah, the fucking culture war bro like it's well i mean i mean you can you can still say it i'm just i'm just saying like you know i think there's a way in which it's being it's used politically by the right too that we should be conscious of that's all that's all i was trying to get at yeah man man that is that is some good shit that is some high quality shit (laughs) (laughs) Rico. that's it mm -hmm. but uh Yeah, I think, I don't know, I gotta take off soon, but uh, thank you so much for calling in. Uh, Yeah, thanks for doing this, Bide. I I was, like, looking to see if there was gonna be, like, a call-in around this thing that popped up because I was like, man, I would love to talk to some people right now. (laughs) Right, right. I really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. And we'll see, maybe I'll do some more. Uh, I think that's the cool thing about, well, I mean, the thing that I'm really liking about this app so far in particular is uh, it's so casual to just start a call and you know, people are calling in and then I'm always learning a lot. Like, I don't know if it's just, I don't know who they're marketing to, or if it's just that all the people who uh, I listen to on this app are, I don't know, like uh, in the uh, space of, I don't want to say like political thinker, you know, they just, they talk about a lot of things that I care about and they analyze a lot of different things. And I don't know if that's just attracting that kind of group of people to this app but uh, I've had a lot of fun with it so far. And I've, I mean, like, you know, I've met you from this and, and, and Shelly and people from a community of people who I didn't even know were really out there. And now those same people are helping me sharpen my own uh, understanding of, of things and, and, you know, reassess my own, not just political leanings, but just it's, it's sharpening my, I guess I'm getting, I'm not as dumb as I was before this call-in started. <laughs> is what I'm trying to say. Uh, I, I doubt that you were dumb before it. I'm just going to throw that out there. Lawyer. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> just saying. Yeah, um, but, wait, quick, before you go real quick, I have a quick uh, question real quick and then, then you can, and then I'll let you go. But this, photo of, of you is that you in this photo the, yeah that's me 
that's you with those cargo shorts. Yeah, with those cargo. That's me when I was like in high school, uh, like my last year, hanging out with my friends. Uh, just like we were just, you know, high schoolers who discovered weed for the first time who are talking about life and, and just fucking around. But I love, I love. That's great. That's awesome. Yeah, that's my, yeah, I love it. So, a reminder as to why we give a shit is, you know, some of the people who we've met and had the opportunity to, I want people to be able to grow and have the kind of friendships and, uh, and experiences that I've had in life. I don't mm-hmm. want their, their position in life or their fucking sex or gender or whatever to stop them from being able to experience that, uh, you know, because you know, what's the point? What's the fucking point? If other people can't like, what is it? it ain't no fun if the homies can't have none. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's my political philosophy. It ain't no fun if the homies can't have none. That is, uh, that's what it's about. But, uh, Rika, cool. uh, thank you so much for calling in. Likewise, uh, Biden. Very much enjoyed this conversation. And to all of you who are listeners, thank you. Thank you for coming out to the first episode of the Fred Hampton Inn and Suites. Uh, we have towels for you in your rooms. And uh, we hope you enjoy your stay. We'll see you next time.